that is just a groovy tune that uh, Peter Trulin put together for us. And that's how you know it's time for another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. So thanks for listening, folks. Uh, it's my pleasure to be hosting the show here like I do every week. This is the forums edition of the Rec Poker Podcast, where we take a post from our free forums and talk about it here on the air. Um, if you don't know what's up with Rec Poker, we're a learning community for folks who love the game of poker. We love learning together. We like learning from other people's mistakes and not just our own mistakes all the time. That's a great way to learn. Um, and we do most of it for free. So I have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino, and Mark Prashan over at Website Amp. Um, and I have to thank the Wrecking Crew, the folks that make all the magic happen here at Rec Poker. Uh, my name's Jim Reed. I'm Blusterini in the home game and at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. But I'm just the guy in front of the mic on Mondays. It takes a crew to make the magic happen over here at Rec Poker. And if you want to find out about, if you want to find out more about me or the other members of the Wrecking Crew, you can go to rec.poker/crew, or you can just listen up because you're going to about to meet a few of them right now. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. I'm Kim Kilroy. I am PetVet underscore 33 on Twitter. I am Fergie56 in the home game. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50 just about everywhere. That's how we do it, folks. Um, we have a great time uh, chatting with other poker enthusiasts. Uh, we interview guests on the Chats edition of the podcast. We've got strategy conversations, we've got study groups, we've got playing hangs, we've got review sessions, uh, we've got it all. Go check it out at rec.poker and sign up for free. All it takes is an email address and a smile, but they are both mandatory. So uh, every Monday night, we like to take a look at a different forum post that uh, people have typed in. Um, I'm loving this new community member, Black Spruce. Uh, so Black Spruce has been po uh, posting in the forums over the last little while, um, a, a real wealth of questions and comments uh, and uh, anecdotes and sort of asking for advice on certain spots. And um, they've shared a lot of hands that they played well, and they've shared some hands that they didn't play well, and they know it, and they're trying to get better. And that's what it takes. You got to share the stuff where you make your mistakes, share your mistakes with other people. And uh, that's how people learn. That's how we learn from each other. That's one of the ways it works here at Rec Poker. So I'm so pleased to uh, be doing another hand from Black Spruce here. This forum post is called Three MTT Hands. And there's two quickies and then one that we're going to actually see all the way to the river here. So we're going to blaze through the entire forum post here. Three short hands. Uh, we'll start with uh, hand number one. So uh, this is a live 1200 buy-in MTT that is uh, swimming with regional pros, says Black Spruce. So uh, in the first hand, and we're just getting joined by uh, Stuart Carriage, who's one of our premium members. It's always great. I love when our premium members, one of the perks is you get to come here and join the forums edition of the podcast. Uh, so thanks for joining us, Stuart. Uh, we're just about to get into a hand here from Black Spruce. So a 1,200 buy-in MTT, a lot of regional pros playing in this one. Uh, hand number one from Black Spruce's post is uh, pre-flop. Hero has king-queen offsuit in the small blind. Uh, a pro opens to two and a half big blinds under the gun. It folds to Hero, and Hero just folds. The question, though, is would a call or a three-bet have been a higher EV play. And the first thing 
we we need more information to really get into the nuts and bolts about this. We need to know your chip stack, the chip stack of the opponent. Um, where are we in the tournament? How close to the bubble? Are there antis in play? That kind of thing. Um, but in a vacuum, you are you're right to be considering which is the highest EV play possible because that's always what we should be asking ourselves. Folding is always going to be zero. Um, will calling be plus or minus EV? Will raising be even more plus or even more minus EV? Those are the questions we have to be asking ourselves when we're faced by these uh, decisions. So it's all about just comparing the different options in front of you. Uh, Chris Jones, you had a great response to uh, uh, Black Spruce here. So why don't you lead us off in the conversation here tonight? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd say about all three of these hands is I think Black Spruce is identifying um, some really key spots that I think a lot of players struggle with. Um, when you have um, this with this first hand in particular, I can clarify because I did ask in my post and got a response from Black Spruce about because I assume these kind of went in order. So like this was very much seemed like one of those hands that comes up very early in a tournament. We can kind of assume that we're like very early levels. We're about a hundred big blinds deep. No chips have been really flying across the table. So everyone's kind of equally distributed. Um, And so that presents some possibilities for us as players that we want to think about in these spots. But I think one of the things that's really tricky in the small blind are hands like King Queen offsuit. Like what, what the heck do I do with these hands? And so, I mean, I think all three options are really on the table. Uh, If you do this in, if you look at like a GTO sort of pre-flop solution here, you're going to see a lot of calls and some raises and no folds, um, basically, uh, from the small blind um, when you're 100 big blinds deep. But that, that is going to only inform us if we're if we are ourselves playing GTO and we're playing against a GTO opponent. If we feel like we're up against either um, a player who is highly outmatched us as one of these local regional pros, as as this player is described, um, it's okay when we're going to be in the worst position of the table to just throw it away. Right, that's fine. I, you know, you're probably throwing away some EV in the long haul, but if you're not as confident about your post-flop game, you're getting into a deep stacked game out of position against a player who maybe you're identifying is better than you. It's fine to fold, but it's also, this is, I think classically a good hand to call with uh, in this spot. When we're this deep, um, we can take a hand like this. uh, We can, play it for the value that it has. We can see how the the play develops. We're not investing that much in this yet. We're likely inviting this to be three ways. So we do have to recognize that that's um, a strong possibility when we call. Um, but but it's, it's a hand that we can kind of really figure out and we're not investing a ton of our stack. And then I, this is also a really decent raising hand as well. I mean, I th- that's one of the things about these kind of hands is that I think players don't love these kinds of answers either is like that you can kind of do all three. It's really situational and player dependent, but if we're up against a really strong player, taking the more aggressive action here with a hand that has uh, some strength, but it's also not the best hand in the world, but it has some blocker value uh, because we block them from some of their strongest holdings with kings and queens and ace king and ace queen. Um, 
that is a decent hand to consider coming at this with a raise with. So I think pretty standard, this would be a call, but I think you could make the case for either. And I'd be curious what others had to say too. Yeah. Kim, why don't you jump in? Uh, Well, I I agree with everything Chris says. I think that um, if we've been at the table long enough to know if this sort of pro is trying to run the table a bit, like are they pretty active? So do they have a nice, robust opening range? And if if that's the case, then I think a three bet is probably better. And I, I probably, I'm probably of the school of three better fold here like I don't really want to play a hand like king queen offsuit out of position versus the pro um but if this pro is being getting spicy then I like a three bet and let's talk about size for the three bet like I would like a three bet to like 11 or 11 and a half big blinds here like not a not an inconsequential three bet Mm -hmm. I don't know what do you think Chris about that sizing I, I like that. Yeah, I, I said in the post here that if I raise here, I'm raising big. Like I, um, I, I, I could even see going to twelve here, just to to, uh, especially if I if there's this, like this skilled, uh, if I have a perceived skilled disadvantage, um, I really want to take this hand, take it as for as much fold equity as I possibly can, uh, try to win it right here, um. If I get called, okay, but I still have some advantage. And if I get raised, it's such an easy fold that um, I don't even have to think about it. Yeah, one nice thing about big bet and raise sizes is that it kind of gives us simpler, easier decisions afterwards because opponents do define the range a little more clearly versus the larger sizing. Uh, so I, I do like that. Rob, did you have something? I just, uh, you know... What Kim said about understanding if the uh, player has been active or not, that's a very big, big question. I think with with just a generic open where you don't have any kind of background information as to what he's doing it with, what his range might be, you call him a pro, what is your range going to look like under the gun at the beginning of a tournament? So I think what Chris said about blockers is, is very true, king-queen. I think in that situation, I'm not probably going to be hurrying to three bet here. I'm going to probably call. But at the same time, you have to be very, very careful on the flop. You're out of position. And if you have a top pair hand, you could be easily dominated. You know, if you have a flop like queen, eight, four, you know, and you're sitting there, wow, I've got top pair with a good kicker. Well, that you know, what does his range consist of? His range has a lot of ace queens in it. Let's put it, you know, let's face it. It's got a lot of ace queens. So you could be in a, easily into a dominated situation. So in this type of situation, I think it's, you have to be very, very careful. I would call, but be very, very careful post-flop based on uh, what the flop looks like. Please, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's why... I, like I just don't like a call because I we're just in sort of no man's land. And I really like, well, for if we were suited, then I much prefer a call. Yep. So that just like mm-hmm. shows you how different it can be on my spot one card. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get I don't want to get re-raised off my hand if I'm suited with King Queen. So right. I'd much I'd much prefer a call with with King Queen there. 
And a good point. And actually, just to reinforce, so we are in the small blind, so we don't actually even get to close the action by calling. So there's still an opportunity for it to get raised behind us or, or which is more likely getting a good price to go multi-way. Um, so my thoughts on this are just that all three options are on the table and they've got pros and cons to each. So um, folding, the the pro is that you're just, you don't have to worry about playing a second best hand out of position against uh, an excellent player. That's valuable. Um, the con is that you're giving up a little EV that the hand kind of has it because of its absolute strength. But if you're going to be outclassed from a skill point of view post-flop, you're not actually going to get all that EV out of this hand. Um, you're actually not, you're going to, you're not going to um, actualize your equity. You're not going to be able to realize your equity, the full equity of the hand playing out of position against an excellent opponent. So you might actually not be giving up as much uh, card EV as you might be um, in other circumstances. So I don't think there's anything wrong with folding in that kind of circumstance. Calling is nice because you get to, um, you know, you're not inflating a pot out of position. Uh, you get to, you have a better chance of realizing the equity in your hand, which is a pretty strong hand, but you're going to be playing what's essentially a second best hand out of position. And now you kind of have to play it as a bluff catcher. It's going to be very hard for you to, to, to make value bets against an under the gun opening range that you've never forced to define itself by a three bet. So, you know, your opponent's going to have ace queen, pocket queens, pocket kings, pocket aces that are going to be dominating you when a lot of money goes into the pot. And when you are ahead of their range, they're going to have hands like pocket jacks, pocket tens, you know, ace king that are not going to put a lot of money into the pot uh, second best. So uh, that skill edge does kind of matter. And what kind of mistakes are your opponents going to make unless you want to just kind of go into check call mode and try and realize your equity in the hand, um, that would that would probably be the best, or, or check fold a lot of the time with a hand like this. Um, three betting has its own pros and cons. Uh, if, if you have fold equity, then it definitely has a lot of pros and cons. If, if they're a, a, a regular player, but they still have a pretty tight preflop range, you might have not have a lot of fold equity, and that might make that, and that, and that's really the the way that hands like king queen off print as a uh, uh a three bet bluff is from the fold equity um once a player does continue you're again you're in that kind of position well okay great so now they've called a three bet in position from an under the gun open um you still can't value bet against that range so you're still kind of going to be in bluff catcher mode and while you have the initiative now that might help you take it away on some like ace high boards, um, you're still not going to be in a very comfortable position post-flop. So I'd say this is kind of like pocket jacks pre-flop. There's three ways to play them and they all stink. Uh, uh, but those are kind of the pros and cons that I think of. Uh, is there anything else that we should talk about in that spot or should we roll on to the next one? All right, let's, uh, let's see a bunch of shaking heads. So let's go to... This is actually hand number three in the post, uh, but it's also a pre-flop hand. So we're going to deal with it next before we get into uh, hand number two. So this is, again, pre-flop. This is much later in the tournament. Heroes on the button with 16 big blinds and ace four suited. Middle position raises to two and a half big blinds. We don't know uh, what their chip stack was or where we are in the tournament. Um, again, just a note for a little more information in the uh, post 
uh, when you're writing this one, uh, uh, Black Spruce. But uh, we are now facing this 2.5 big blind uh, open. We've got 16 big blinds. And the question is, should we shove this? Uh, should we wait for a better hand, i.e. a pair or Broadway cards? Um, I'll let uh, here, Chris, you're unmuted. I'll let you jump ahead with this one as well. Well, I just respond. I mean, I think one of the things that like these kinds of hands are also really tricky when we're getting short stacked. Um, when when do we go with it? When do we not? Uh, is every ace fine? And I, what I see a lot of players sort of blundering with is either going too far in just waiting for premiums and not trying to make a move versus I have an ace. So now I get to shove every ace that I possibly get. And there, there is, this is unfortunately for us uh, there, as there is in poker, there's nuance with this and you can't just make an either or decision. You can't just wait for premiums and you can't just say, I'm waiting for every hand that has an ace in it. And now I get to overshove and just collect my equity. And one of the things I think that's really important in this uh, post is that we have um, a, a middle position and an MP player opening. Uh, this is going to radically change what we can do with a hand like uh, ace four. We're on the button with a hand like ace four suited. If this is an under the gun open, I think this is an auto fold. I think in in this spot, it starts to open up as being a really reasonable and and probably preferable shove. Uh, And if it was like the cutoff, I think it's like an auto shove um, where like we're making a mistake if we don't do it. And so really paying attention to the the position of our opponents in making these kinds of decisions um, and the fact that we're suited too helps push us more to we have more ways to win so that's going to push us to making more more shoves more often so um i think this is close but i think this is one that i'm most of the time i am taking this spot yeah, do, you have something? do you have something there yeah i i kind of do like i don't think it's really cut and dried because we don't know what the blind stack sizes are mm. we don't know what the stack size of the middle position razor is and we don't even know the average stack size of the table. Like, is this, are, are we average stacked with our 16 big blinds? Are we one of the shortest stacks with our 16 big blinds? It's like, it makes such a difference to this hand. Um, if we're, if there's lots of people between 10 and 20 big blinds, like then this is, this is hardly ever a, a shove for me. If we're one of the shortest stacks, then it's, it's, I like to go on the side of the shove here versus the middle position opener. The middle position open is big if the middle position, if if the average stack is only 20 or 25 big blinds. Two and a half big blinds is, is, is a big open. So I might be tightening up the, my range a little bit, um, maybe a pip or two, but that's, it's still, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a mistake one way or the other. But just for future in these hands, it's really nice to have that other information. Mm-hmm. Because if we're considering calling, do we have like an eight big blind stack in one of the big on one of the blinds? Like what's what's to act after us? Those are those are important things to 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 know when we're when we're uh, no. assessing a hand. 
Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Another, another thing I'd like to know is to your point, what are the stack size of the blinds? But then also is MP normally raised into two and a half, regardless of his stack size. Mm. Is this a unusual raise or is this, so in other words, if, if I see the blinds are sitting there in around the 20 big blind area, I'm never raising a two and a half there because you're, you're usually trying to um, get your, your pre-flop sizing to go coincide with the effective stacks. And so you would normally figure that the big blind is going to be the, the person that's going to call you and that's going to be more than likely the effective stack. If you're sitting there with 50 big blinds, for instance. So 50 big blinds might be two and a half big blind open for me, but if I'm going against an effective stack of 20, then I'm probably going to do a min or a 2.1 or something like that. So understanding where this player is coming from, is he aware of that? Is he aware of, st- of the effective stack sizes and is adjusting his preflop bet sizing accordingly, or is he just always throwing in two and a half no matter what? Yeah, that's a great point because you really need to know you know, what are the errors that our opponents are making that we can exploit? Or what what is the private information that they're making public by the size of their bet or the size of their raise and things mm-hmm. like that? Mm-hmm. Because especially with a hand like this, and in the previous example as well, you're kind of, they're, they're cusp hands. They're hands that you could play in a variety of different ways. No one would tell you that you're wrong. Um, but there's probably better uh answers and worse answers and you know to make a uh, a reasonable accurate comparison of the ev of your decisions you kind of have to have good assumptions so the best the better you can make your assumptions uh the better decisions you'll be able to make uh kim do you have something yeah oh, sorry. just that this is what one of the reasons we our most common answer when somebody asks is this the right <laughs> move in a hand yeah. is it depends it depends <laughs> <laughs> people love hearing that sorry chris what were you saying oh well i was just gonna kind of chime back to like a thing that i always attribute to andrew brokus because it's not an original thought of my own um but i do think there is a clear mistake here which i do see some players make because they don't they're like, I don't want to fold and I don't want to shove, so I'm going to call. And I I love when Andrew Brokus talks about calling is not a compromise. Yes. And, and I think that here, I think the absolute clear mistake is if you are flatting, when you have 16 big blinds and you've got a hand like ace four of hearts or whatever, and you're flatting because you don't know what to do. You don't want to. You don't want to risk all your chips, but you don't want to fold. It's a little too strong to fold, so you just decide to call. I got position. Let's just see a flop. I, that I think is a clear mistake in these these spots. Um, and I think uh, if you're kind of finding yourself doing that sometimes, I'm uh, I'm glad that our our hero, our correspondent here, shoved and was wondering if they did it. You know, if it was the, but they they at least didn't like find that little compromise spot, which I think is a is a a big leak that I see some players have. Yeah, great point. Kim, yeah. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when you guys Let's disagree. Go. Let's All go. right, fantastic. Bring it. I we have the button. I think calling here is a fine is a is a fine uh thing to do. Um I I don't like folding unless we have shipping stacks behind us, but I don't like folding. I like calling or three betting. And it was interesting because I ran it through the solver and the solver wanted to split it 50, 50. 
at 16 big blinds. So when you have the button, because we have the button and that means a lot in poker. (laughs) So I agree that if we're in the small blind or big blind, it should be a fold or or a small blind, especially, or if we're out of, if we don't have the button. Um, But I kind of disagree that we can't call here. I think we can call here. Chris, do you have a, is, is it a stack size related um, yeah. situation there? Like we don't have enough chips. We don't have enough behind to take advantage of our position. Um, like, cause I, I, you know, Taylor Moss talks about when you're in the big blind, like closing the action short stack, you can call sometimes with the expectation of just like getting it in on a lot of flops. Um, but with these suited wheel aces, they're like my favorite hands. And I, I do kind of, keep them in a separate category uh, of hands. But what are you thinking about, uh, Chris, when when uh, Kim comes out and, and draws you out on the carpet like that? Uh, yeah, no, I, I would much <laughs> prefer calling from the big blind here. I would call from the big blind all day. Um, I, and I agree we don't have enough information on this, but um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, what do you I'm say, looking at a, I'm, I'm looking at approved. <laughs> yeah, we're not playing well, against solvers though. Well, well we don't, actually, we don't... I looked at. I have a solver in front of me, the GTO Wizard, and it's saying shove this 100. percent So yeah, um, and I'm looking at a defense range um, in my book, Modern Poker Theory, uh-huh. and the defense range shows 90 percent shove, maybe 10 percent call. Hmm. So basically, what that means, if you run that through a solver you would be shoving 100% of the time. Right. right. So Floptimal flopped, gives it 55% shove and 45% call. Interesting. Yeah, see, I, I, just, I just have a problem with that just because of the stack sizes. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and the fact that, that we don't know. Exactly. Right. Yeah. What, what's the open size that Floptimal's reacting to? Uh, two big blinds. Yeah. Oh, so I think I think yeah. that even influences me even more. Yeah. Like the fact that this is two and a half. I mean, I know that seems so small, but it's such a percentage of our stack. We're mm-hmm. we're almost putting what 20% of our stack in the middle here. I don't know. I mean, yeah. No, this is good. I mean, and one of the reasons I love it when we disagree on the show here is because a lot of this stuff, it's not solved. You know, it's solved yeah. according to certain ranges that we put our opponents on. But one of the great things about poker is there's just there's just a bunch of kind of right answers. And you don't even get to know if you were right most of the time anyway. Right. Uh, you right. don't get to close that loop. Yeah, for um, sure. Now, when, once we start getting short stacked like this, my question to the panel is, um, how important is the rank of the hands and how important is the like connectivity of the hands? Like, let's say I told you that you could either have ace three suited or ace six offsuit. Uh, which would you rather have in this spot? And and yeah, let's just it's, let's just ace three suited, it. ace yeah. three yeah. suited every day, all day long, because you have an opportunity to get a wheeled draw with that. Ace six can't make a straight. Yep. And you can't and the, make a flush when you're not suited. And the kicker is just not gonna matter. Like if, if it was like ace right. nine offsuit, now now that kicker might come into play somehow. It might influence this, but like how often is the six gonna even matter unless you hit mm. the six? Right. And sometimes we can make a six fold. 
Yeah. yeah. Yep. One of the great things about those uh, those little baby wheel aces. Um, okay, fantastic. Well, I like that we got a, a, a range of answers there because we're kind of exploring the decision space is really what we're doing in these mm-hmm. cases. So um, as always, uh, uh, Black Spruce, it depends. So oh. the second hand, uh, the third we'll talk about today, this is starts pre-flop like many hands. Uh, the villains in the big blind. And it folds to the hero in the small blind. We've got 54 big blinds and queen four of clubs. So suited queen four. And Chris, you've been working uh, the last uh, last month or the month before that. The theme was blind versus blind play. And we talked a lot about different hands that you might choose to limp the small blind or open raise the small blind and how to play from this perspective. So I'll look to you um, for the first conversation here. Um the the question really gets to the river. So I'll just, because this is a third hand we're talking about tonight, I'll get us to the river, but we can examine this within the um, within the uh, context of a blind versus blind play. So uh, the flop, so the, the, our correspondent calls, they limp the small blind and the villain checks behind. We've got queen of clubs, four of clubs, the flop, queen of diamonds, 10 of hearts, eight of spades. So we've got top pair, no kicker, and uh, no back door. The hero checks, the villain bets pot, and the hero calls. Should we stop here or should we just roll through to the river gang? Yes, let's stop here. Okay, I think take this it away, Chris. The key, key part of the hand. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we talked about in that blind versus blind uh, situation, um, there are times when we are, uh, when we complete from the small blind when we complete and then the big blind checks, now we go to a post-flop. We, as the small blind, go into that situation. It doesn't feel like it, right? It feels like we've we've limped or we've completed in this spot. It doesn't necessarily always feel like it. And it feels like we're playing, quote-unquote, out of flow. But we have the advantage here mm-hmm. in this spot. When we hit top pair in this spot, we have to bet. Um, we just have to bet because not only are we have that advantage going into this spot. Um, f- first of all, nobody believes you blind versus blind. So you have that. Going <laughs> for you. But um, second of all, um, we're, we're going to be pushing a huge sort of equity advantage. And we can get, if you look at this board, queen, 10, eight, there's a lot of stuff on this board that is going to, just take a nibble into it. You know, there's going to be gut shots here. There's going to be uh, second pairs, third pairs, um, especially the check behind range of, of, a, of a big blind player. We can get a lot of worse things to call us. Um, and I, I think this is just, this is where this hand starts to go off the rails because if we don't make this C bet here, we're, we're going to be in just really tough situation with top pair no kicker and re- really not knowing how to navigate it so that's my take and okay. when we don't make the c bet here and what are we making a bet with like if we're not mm. making it with top pair weak kicker what are we going to make it with here we can't just always hope to flop two pair or something or or trips or something like that we have to be able to uh make it with this and maybe with some really strong draws as well mm-hmm. And some back. Uh, yes, and if and if we know that this is a very aggressive player in the big blind, 
Um, when he's checked to, he's going to make a bet. You might want to check this, but then if you do, calling would be a mistake. Calling if you check and he bets, and now your job, your opportunity to get very aggressive and go over the top right. with yeah. a check raise. I think I think there is times when you could check this, but that is again villain dependent. You want that type of very aggressive opponent that's going to bet when he's checked to. And then you you're you're setting up a trap, so to speak. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, against a certain type of player, the the kind that like just attacks weakness, regardless of what they have. You know, it's like if they see you check, they're gonna then then we want to set up a check raise. But either way, I think a check call line here is is not what we want to be doing. And I love the responses that uh, Black Spruce puts in the forum post here. And this is why I do encourage our listeners to go sign up for a free rec poker account and go uh, scroll through the forums because we'll kind of scratch the surface of some of the responses and we'll get into some of the details here. But if you really want to get the full breakdown of the hand and what everyone's saying, go go check out the forums yourself. It's free to join. Uh, please do. Um, so Black Spruce says, regarding spot number two, I guess my default is to check post-flop when out of position if I wasn't the pre-flop aggressor. That may be a flawed default generally and or regarding blind versus blind specifically. And I think that's the key that Chris was kind of mentioning earlier. This is the blind versus blind dynamic. You got to throw that pre-flop aggressor out the window because the ranges have changed. The dynamic has changed. When you complete and they check behind, pre-flop aggressor or not, there is no pre-flop aggressor. Um, you put in more chips than they did on purpose pre-flop, and you actually have the range advantage here, which is the most important part of it. That's really yeah. why we check to the aggressor is because they have an uncapped range and we have capped our range by calling. But in this case, we actually have an uncapped range and they have a capped range. Um, so we should be acting as though we are the aggressor, even though we limped when they check behind. Now, if we limp and they raise to four big blinds and then we call... Now I think you it is typical to go back into that check uh, default check to the razor uh, strategy, but that's one actionable item I think Black Spruce and our listeners can take away from this if they um, are playing this blind versus blind uh, dynamic. I really thought from the premium uh, membership theme that Chris put together a couple months ago, the, the the dynamic between the small blind and the big blind, how their ranges interact when one checks uh, when the big blind checks behind or all the different iterations that Chris took us through. Uh, that was a real eye-opener for me. And this is exactly the kind of situation that uh, that can result from that. So the question that um, Black Spruce has is actually uh, about the river. So we'll, we'll take it all the way through and then we'll wrap this up. Um, but the flop comes queen 10-8. We check the villain bets pot and we call. Uh, turn is a six of clubs. So it's queen 10-8-6 rainbow. Uh, we check hero be, uh, villain bets pot again, and we call. And we, I mean, we must be feeling pretty good. We've got top pair in a in a blind versus blind spot. Um, although the pot size bets are probably starting to raise a few alarm bells. I think um, if they're well, again, it's very very villain dependent. Um, the river is another queen, the queen of hearts. Uh, we check the villain bets pot again. Uh, of our remaining 44 big blinds, it's going to cost us 22 to call. Uh, the hero does call, and we've got trip queens at this point to the four. Uh, there is a, there's three to a straight on the board, and there's actually, there's 
two three to straights on the board. There's the jack nine, and there's the seven nine, and there's the uh, nine jack that all could have made a straight here um, at one point in the hand. Um, but other than that, we've got trips, so we're ahead of every other hand essentially. Um, and the question is, would a fold or a shove have been a higher EV play? Personally, when I'm in this spot, I feel like a shove doesn't really accomplish much because they're not going to be continuing with a hand worse than trip aces uh, than trip queens on this. And I don't know if a fold, I mean, it, it really villain dependent here. When they go pot, 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 I mean, they probably don't have a worse queen than you. Uh, do they have like 10 8? And they, I don't know if 10 8 bets to this. Uh, size on the on the river either so i'm not i'm honestly not sure what what's your take chris you're unmuted why don't you jump in here first um i think we can potentially fold this turn maybe um yeah the turn when the when the but i i can't i can't fold this river not 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 when we hit trip queens on this i mean it's just um i i just I'm I'm in case if I get to this river this way, like I I want to I want to see bet the flop. The whole hand's going to be different if we if we approach it right. that way. But if we as played, um, if I call this turn, I'm not folding this river. Yeah, it's just too good a river card for our actual hand. Um, I think given that we we make trips there, you know, we were already behind. If he had a set that filled up, we were already behind that. Um, if he had two pair, now we've improved to beat his two pair hands, which is non-trivial on a board like this, uh, in a checked pot like this. Um, so we are worried about some straights, uh, but it would have had to have gotten there on the turn. And, you know, we have some sets here as well, I think, uh, that that fill up there. So I'm not sure that they're going to be always playing all their straights, uh, pot, pot, pot. As it turns out, shall I reveal, folks? Is there anything else we want to talk about? Well, does anyone we... else? I mean, does anyone have a different? Is anyone folding this river if they as played? I'm I'm never folding. I yeah. no, never I, I have a little just a bit of um, nomenclature saying that you know folding. I think you said before is uh, zero EV. So it's like it's it can't be higher ev than, right <laughs> it can't be higher ev than calling would be it's just so people can use the right terminology yep. here right good point and we got a comment from a uh, steward in the chat here it says if you thought one queen was good then you can't fold when you hit trips yeah that's right that's and right. we counterfeited a flop two pair yes so. yeah exactly Exactly, which is non-trivial. Like I say, I think a, right. a fair number of our opponents' hands were like pair plus draw, uh, or that kind of thing. And the, when they when they fire on the turn, there that could be six eight or six ten as often as it is seven nine or jack nine or something like that that made the straight. Um, any other thoughts here before we reveal? I think one one thing that we always should consider is what is he doing this with. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. something that uh, Black Spruce did not mention what he thought he was calling. Mm-hmm. In other words, when when he bet, you know, he's making a call because he has top pair. But what is he putting his opponent on? What hands is this player doing this with? And I think if once you start doing that a little bit more throughout your 
playing time, you're going to see that these situations, it kind of escalated to where it got to, and you were going to, you were going to do the big reveal, but it kind of escalated to where it got to. And he was, he was behind Mm -hmm. and, and he didn't know it and he didn't even consider it. He just knew that he had top pair and kept calling because he had top pair. So you get yourself into these spots when you play that passive line. I think that's a great point, Rob. And yeah, so the villain did have a nine, seven for the straight that came in on the turn. So they had six, seven, eight, uh, nine, 10. And uh, it was a good, you know, so on the flop, they're obviously, they're they're bluffing, they're semi-bluffing with their open-ended straight draw there, which is a great candidate to use, especially when checked to. Um, you want to be using those high equity, low showdown value kind of hands for that kind of thing. They benefit from folds. Then getting there on the turn is just the genius, perfect card for them. Uh, they get to continue this pot line, and uh, and then you get to the river. And yeah, I think I think you make a great point there, Rob. That and again, it kind of depends on how thoughtful is this opponent too. Like, do they know what they should be betting this aggressively on? Not very, like because I'll tell you why. If yeah, I'm sitting there, and now put ourselves in the villain's shoes. So now we're the hero and we bet pot, pot and being called. Yeah. And we really think our opponent has a queen or two pair here. Right. Let's just go double pot on the river right. to get yeah. called. Yep. Right. Not like, not just pot, pot, pot. Like let's just think about it for a minute and just get chips in. Mm-hmm. Yep. And just think about, you know, how often, is is a is a bet that's twice the size going to work more than half as often? If it is, that's a better poker decision. That's a more profitable poker decision. If it's going to get called more than half as much and the size is twice as much, you're making a better poker decision to do that. If it's only going to get called 10% of the time, but it's twice uh, twice as much, then you're better off choosing the smaller sizing that gets called 100% of the time, and then you make more money that way. But um yeah, an excellent, an excellent point. Uh, especially when you start getting down to the point where the pot size bet was actually half our opponents, or in this case, our stack, um, which makes the shove not that much bigger in relative poker terms. Um, so I think that's that's a really good point. Uh, any other thoughts here, gang, before we roll on out of here? Well, then I just want to thank uh, Kim and Chris and Rob for uh, joining us on the panel here and Stuart for coming in as a premium member on the chat. Uh, of course, I got to thank uh, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino and Mark Brichon from Website Amp and Black Spruce for typing this into the forums and you, the listeners, for listening along and sharing your support with us. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time.